Chapter 9 Runeport Turin had stolen Molly. In truth, Turin didn't know the mare's name. She hadn't bothered to ask when snatching the farming steed from the stable in the middle of the night. She only knew that she had few supplies and even less coin. If she hadn't made it to Runeport before running out of both of those, she would have resorted to more desperate crimes. That and she wouldn't have stood a chance on foot if any crimen decided to raid the city-state's territory. Tarin hoped the farmstead would get by for a time without the horse. She had every intention of paying them back once she settled the heartstone job. Though she planned to send a different horse back. Molly had grown on her. The mare had the lean features of an endurance-rich fire-blood and a hint of a stone-blood's dominating stature. It made for a damn fine farming steed, though she was still a watered-down breeding from either lineage. The guild guards watching Runeport's eastern gate spiked a nervousness in Turin as she approached to top her mount. They leaned on square wicker shields or long spears, casually watching the procession entering the city beneath twisting cone-shaped helms. Ever since the Stormwall, she had constantly fought the urge to reach into her pouch and grasp the heartstone. Its warm embrace called to her with a burning desire. With the guards in view, she forced her hands to stay clear of the stone's vicinity. The attempt to not draw attention to it, probably only made matters worse. While guild guards didn't typically search every entrant through the gates, they always had Magi guards among their ranks. With Runeport's proximity to the Southern Empires and its direct waterway access to the Shattered Isles, this meant they kept a couple such elementalists at any point of entry into the city, searching for undeclared fire and water stones respectively. Fortunately for Tarin, Runeport's current peace with its neighbours eliminated the need to conduct thorough searches. The guild guards also didn't have a member of the Golden Order on retainer that day. Not even the ruling guild council could carry such an expense for long. Still, as she watched the fire stone-wielding Magi guard circle the wagon ahead of her, she couldn't keep her heart rate from accelerating. His ring pulsed with red light while he attempted to sense nearby fire stones by whatever means elementalists worked their magics. It was the threat of what they would do to her if by chance they broke routine and searched her. Not being associated with the illustrious Golden Order, that meant she would either have her head on a block or be strung up outside the gate as a warning to others. For once, the luck of the elements favoured her, and they ushered her through without even asking to state her business. One perk of having a season's worth of dirt and grim caked on her was she didn't look threatening. Inside the main gate lay the market square. Vendor stalls normally peddling goods from every make, shape, and size had converted to musician stands, puppet shows, and drink stations serving every known toxin from the four corners. The new cycle festival started with the second wave of the air season and was in full swing. The energy of the crowd called to Turin as strong as the heartstone did. However, her alcohol-deprived body would have to wait until she settled a few matters. She navigated the throng full of drunks midway through their wave-long bender. Every swerving pedestrian tested what little patience she had left. She hated sobriety, especially around those who didn't practice it with her. If old Molly had the energy, Turin would have trampled the lot of them over. The dirty streets around the warehouses in the docks district by the broken river weren't as lively. The sulfuric stench of the endless swamps and marshes of Gastolia beyond the river mingled with the filth on that side of town. 
Taverns still roared with patrons as did the few guild houses located there, but most of the people she passed lay unconscious while propped up against buildings. She imagined they'd all wake up near frozen to death come morning. Jorgen had leased a small portion of a warehouse in that district. Heedless of the mess, she guided Molly inside the building before shutting the door. Farming steed or not, she wouldn't last long on the street unattended. Guild guards didn't have a care in the elements for what happened in the docks. Taren's old boss had tried to keep his stash secret, but after enough long nights on the drink, she not only worked out its location, but also which wallboards shielded his reserve of coin. What his loosened tongue didn't reveal was how pitiful his stash had become. It contained a handful of larger coins, including a pair of silver and bronze crowns, a scattering of smaller embers, and not a gold piece among them. Aside from that she only found junk, a wooden carving she assumed to be the fire god Kruskas, a painting so mold-covered she couldn't recognize the image, and other sentimental knickknacks, all of it worthless. It felt strange going through Jorgen's things, like peeking through a door never meant to be opened. She found an old bottle of liquor, but like her old mentor, it was covered with dust and bone dry. The dagger's kiss lay on the edge of the docks district, not quite in the filth but not part of the city proper either. Turin had a meal brought up to her room, bypassing the crowded tavern downstairs. She tore through the smoked swamp flounder and couscous with a savage hunger, nearly choking on fish bones twice, then ordered another helping. While waiting for her second serving she bathed in mildly warm water, but at least it was clean. It soaked into her wind-blown skin while she sipped on what passed for whiskey downstairs. In her relaxation, she had let her hand rest on the heartstone sitting on the table next to the tub. The vision from the white stag flashed through her mind. She almost recognized the street she walked down, but every filthy avenue in the docks looked the same. This time she had made it into the warehouse littered with bodies, and the Illyrian turned fully to face her. Impenetrable shadows veiled his features, but he saw her, she knew that much. Tarin jerked her hand away from the stone and sent water spilling from the tub. She took a long drink from the bottle, trying to wash away the tingling in her spine. A grimace took hold as the last drops of alcohol seeped into her mouth. She knew what another bottle would do to her evening, but there wasn't a chance in the shadow she could sleep after what just happened. The trip to the Shield Bearers Guild would have to wait. Besides, Jorgen was buying tonight. Her bare feet left a wet trail to her room's door. A maid walking the hall almost dropped her tray of empty plates upon seeing Tarin, who had to fight back a blush herself. It wasn't her nudity that triggered her reaction, rather her bared scars. Each one marked a piece of her life story, most of which she hadn't even told Jorgen of, and she hadn't drunk enough to unveil that curtain just yet. She had planned to yell out a frustrated order into an abandoned stairwell. Instead, she smiled coyly at the maid's averted gaze. Be a dear and fetch me another bottle of whiskey, only make it a real one this time. She winked and closed the door. Late afternoon arrived before Tarin arose the next day. A blend of reaching the brink of exhaustion and what lesser people called overindulgence had fueled her slumber. At least she awoke alone. That level of control after returning from a job like her latest expedition had to count for something. 
Her two sets of clothes came back laundered, or the dagger's kisses version of laundered. Faded stains lingered on one shirt, while the second seemed to have absorbed all the blood and dirt, turning the fabric beige. At least the garments didn't smell like the bowels of the swamp anymore. It took a will of effort not to get caught up in the continuing celebrations when she came downstairs, but that whiskey had put a dent in Jorgen's meager inheritance. She walked the reveler-filled streets. One hand rested on her dagger, the other over a bulging sack tied to her belt. Yesterday it had carried the heart stone. However, she decided it best to stash the stone, leaving it with the one soul she could trust in the city. In its place resided something else she had picked up from the mountainside, the biggest damn pinecone she could find. It unnerved her not having the heart stone within easy reach. She assured herself it was safer where she had hidden it, at least for the night. If some ambitious pickpocket tried to lift it off her after all she went through to obtain it, Turin would end up properly murdering someone. She needed to unload the stone as quickly as possible before it got her into trouble. Besides, she desperately needed the coin. Turin didn't know the details of Jorgen's original contract nor what a heart stone went for on the black market. The guild contract that she took off his body didn't mention payment nor a heart stone, only the stupid pinecone she now carried. As to why a pinecone of all things, well, she was almost as curious about that as she was about getting paid for the heart stone. Considering the illegality of the job, part of that made sense. Jorgen would have needed a valid guild contract to broker goods and weapons before setting out with an armed company. He had said that her cut would be 15 gold crowns, her biggest payout on a single job ever. He would have taken a sizable share to cover expenses for the prior expeditions, and she didn't know what he had promised Tashwin for contributing men to the job. But as the lone surviving merc in the outfit, Turin planned to claim the entire reward and didn't intend to share with the self-proclaimed Lord of the Docks. She could only speculate how much coin she'd pull in, fifty or hundred crowns. Merely thinking of it made her grin like an idiot. Strings of lanterns in stained glass cases lined the wide thoroughfare of Guild Row. The garden in the median dividing the road had already gone dormant in the cold. Crowds flowed en route to the best parties of the festival or hopped from one to the next. Aside from the guild guards posted at the city gates, this was the first part of the city she noticed patrols keeping watch. Guild Row served as the city's backbone, leading to the guild council hall at one end. The government building dominated the street only in size and rivaled any castle. The large guild houses that lined either side of the road had a similar effect through their decadence. Each one attempted to declare its prominence over the rest, even if they controlled entirely different crafts. Turin passed the Foundation's Guild. With a focus on stonework, its exterior decor utilized an abundant amount of statuary. The Guild of Crowns had every inch of trim lined with gold-flecked paint. Skimming margins off every merchant in the city paid well after all. The Guild of Dawn put the stringed lighting on the street to shame as it basked in a radiant glow more colorful and brighter than all the seasonal waves of essence. Some of its colourful lamps would serve better to light the dark avenues and alleys of the docks in an effort to quell the stabbings and muggings, but even she knew that part of town was already lost. Music streamed out of every guild house and into the street. Only one guild hall remained silent. 
The Guild of Elemental Melody supplied the vibrant music filling other halls and taverns throughout the city. She supposed at least one other guild would remain empty throughout the festival. The companions of the night would be out servicing whoever had any coin left over after all their drinking. While prostitution was legal, the companions weren't permitted to set up their hall on the elite avenue of Guild Row. They instead settled for the edge of the elemental district, where the worshippers of the faiths had more needs to fulfill than their gods alone could satiate. The Shield Bearers Guild may not have been the oldest of the guilds, though its structure was. It bore a similar look to the city walls, built of large sander-brown stones of rectangular shape and irregular size. The age shone through in the chipped stonework. The stones used in the oldest structures came from the remains of whatever the city was before it became Roomport. Most stonework from that time had odd carvings in their faces. One in five stones on the Shield Bearers Guild Hall exterior displayed these strange rune-like markings. Tarin figured the structure had been a keep of sorts in the past. Its few windows were tall and too narrow, more suited as archer slits than for viewing. If it once held battlements, they had faded to the elements, but square towers still sprouted from the corners. The old courtyard in the back served as a practice field for the mercenary companies. The guild embraced the building's military appearance with heavy oaken doors banded with iron strips. A pair of impractically large axes crossed one another above the front doors. The sophisticated military organization of the place was a mirage. Inside those solid walls resided more bureaucratic, coin-swindling, and corrupt guild masters, the same as every other guild in the city. On Tarin's approach, she caught the sound of offbeat minstrels on strings and deep-throated laughter. The drunk Max on guard paid her no mind as she strode past and inside. She almost recognized the tune, despite the musicians missing every other note. Was it that old southern ballad of the warlord king making his rise after Borak's fall? She knew half a dozen songs reciting that same tale. Southerners loved lyrical trash like that. The partygoers inside must have been drinking Arik since sunup. The foul liquor permeated the air. The crowd contained the usual guild elites, mercenary company owners, officers, as well as the more notable Macs in their ranks. A few prospective clients sprinkled throughout. They alone had any fashion sense of the lot with their flashy chasm silk garments. Then came the companions, women mostly, but Tarin picked out several men of the night as well. Scant outfits of transparent silks adorned them all, showing off their desirable assets and cheap jewellery. Tarin paused once inside the door. A fist fight started off to one end. The awful music unfortunately persisted, and nearby Mercs either laughed at the spectacle or made bets on the combatants. A thrill rose in her, but she subdued it before getting swept away. She scanned the crowd for one of the guild masters, preferably one she got along with. A Merc shouldered past her, pausing to eye her up and down like he would a companion. She rolled her eyes and shoved him onward. Fresh on his heels came a tipsy guild clerk in a wine-stained kaftan that lazily draped off one shoulder. She seemed determined with her objective, even if the merc didn't return the interest. Turin grabbed the clerk by the elbow, ceasing her pursuit and asked, Where are the guild masters? I need to settle some urgent business. The woman scowled at her restrained arm, but her frown faded as she found Turin's face. 
Guildmaster Prisca is over there. The clerk made a vague gesture. Great, the one guildmaster I had hoped to avoid. Tarin followed the clerk's gesture toward the ongoing fight. A pale fist flashed, and a man's head rocked back. A woman, as tall as her opponent, had thrown the blow. Prisca was a gargantuan from the north with fair hair, cut short like a southern man's. She had grated on Tarin ever since Jorgen first moved his company to Runeport. The guildmaster unleashed a flurry of punches at her opponent. He may have blocked one, but mostly his head bobbled about with each blow. The final punch sent a spray of blood into the roaring onlookers, and he fell spinning. Tarin squeezed on the clerk's arm as she tried to renew the pursuit of her desired prey. Her drunken irritation didn't wear off under Tarin's annoyed gaze this time. Not her. What about the other guild masters? Where's Abner? The woman nodded her head back the way she had come, where a pair of feminine giggles sang into the crowd. Tarin released the clerk to investigate. Two female companions, only half draped in their silk dresses, formed a web of limbs over the man seated between them on a bench. Guildmaster Abner's sleazy grin basked in their attention. He might as well. Companions of their quality undoubtedly lightened his coin purse by a fair amount. His blue de Laba robe was made of fine cotton, laced with bright chasm silk. Large buttons ran down the robe's front, though none remained fastened, displaying his lean build. His attention didn't span past the two sets of hands stroking his turned chest and cleanly shaven cheeks. Tarin rolled her eyes. He probably didn't have a scar anywhere on his body. Despite his position, she doubted he had ever fought a day in his life. She guessed he was a wealthy merchant's son or a noble's offspring that sat too far down the succession line to ever be considered relevant. However, his connections did bring in lucrative contracts for the guild and had earned him a place as guild master. Without invitation or acknowledgement, she walked up to the tangle of bodies on the bench. Is this yours? she asked as she leaned in, pressing her body against the mass to grab a bottle off the table behind them. Hey, watch it, snapped one of the girls, a descendant of some northern variety with skin as pale as Prisca's. The offended companion crinkled her nose in disgust at Tarin. She ignored the comment and poured out the contents of the bottle into a cup she found next to it, acting like it belonged to her. A frown tugged at her lips upon realizing the bottle contained wine. Then again, she should have expected as much from Abner. The other companion held far less animosity. Her deep caramel tones noted of a mixed lineage between the Shattered Isles and Northern Lands, a trait not desirable in either region. Her sparkling brown eyes looked at Turin with hungry curiosity. The woman slowly bit her lip. The gesture sent an unexpected ripple through Turin. She tossed back the contents of her cup before anyone noticed her reaction. That was, odd. She needed to clear her mind and work some charm on Abner. Maybe she just wants to join the party, said the seductive woman. I'm sure we can accommodate. She did that nibbling thing with her lip again. Tarin forced her eyes towards Abner's wry smile beneath his dark, slicked back hair. His glazed eyes looked her over with distracted unfamiliarity, hinting at some indulgence of red ash along with his wine. The expression annoyed her. She kicked his shin and his drifting eyes sharpened. 
He opened his mouth but said nothing, almost like he didn't feel the pain but knew he should have. Red ash for sure. Knock it off, Abner. It's me, Tarin. I'm not one of your long-haired playthings. She shot each girl a glance, but with the lip nibble added, no offense. The woman smiled and shrugged one shoulder. The motion conveniently allowed her silks to fall several inches, revealing a healthy portion of cleavage. Tarin quickly poured herself another cup of wine to give her something to focus on. She had spent too much time on that shadow-cursed mountain. Yes, a night on the town with a cute soldier boy, and she'd be right as a water season's rain. Tarin, Abner said, trying out the name before his droopy expression lit up. Ah yes, Miss Robson. Jorgen's little girl. She yearned to grind her teeth at the reference but pasted on a smile. That's right, I worked in Jorgen's company. However, tonight I'm here on my own business, and I've got a bottle waiting when I'm done, so let's cut the games. There's always time for games, the dark seductress purred. Tarin almost glanced over but restrained herself at the last moment. Who is this woman and what is wrong with me? Abner waved a hand, shooing Tarin away. Not tonight. The guild is closed. Come back with the next wave and when the festival is over, or better yet, don't bother. We only deal with licensed captains. Tell that shady boss of yours to come himself to close out his contract. Oh, and he's a season late on his guild dues. Well, good luck collecting, because Shady Ole Jorgen has gone back to the elements, she said and watched the words take effect before adding, as is all of his team, save me. I went through the shadow to get back here, so I'm not in the mood for your shit. Now put your pretty little friends aside and let me close this job, and if you behave, I'll make sure you're still equipped for the after-party. Without giving it any thought, she flicked out the long stiletto knife she took off Jorgen and tossed it to stab into the bench between Abner's legs. It landed close enough to cut the fabric of his pants. It took his lazy eyes a moment to drift down to the blade that almost severed his manhood. He frowned, almost confused. An annoyed sigh escaped him as he freed his arms from the companions. Give me a moment, ladies. He stood up and snatched his bottle back from Tarin before giving it to the girls, don't have too much fun without me. We won't, said the seductress, though her eyes never left Tarin's, who quickly retrieved her dagger and followed Abner before falling victim to that sultry gaze. He walked through the crowd and behind a wooden counter, scarred by enough blades to resemble a butcher's table. Above and behind the counter hung a large black slate board. All available and currently assigned jobs filled it, written in white ash chalk. One faded and smudged listing had Jorgen's company down for a job called Nature Hunt. So, that bastard finally bit it, Abner said as he fished around the shelves below the counter. I thought that job he took wasn't supposed to be dangerous. Easy coin, he called it. I can think of dozens of mercs we went through over the last year that would state otherwise, she said, peeking back at the crowd. Unbidden, her eyes drifted to the companion, but quickly averted when the woman returned the stare. Abner pulled out a jug and two cups. His thumb popped off the cork before pouring. And where did he get these mercs? Ten waves back, we learned that the last batch of recruits he hired through the guild had been missing for a full season. 
He never came back for more, nor did he pay the required restitutions. Abner's expression sobered as he eyed Turin. Perhaps he wasn't that high after all. She always assumed Jorgen had worked Tashwin's guise through proper guild channels. Then again, Jorgen was a schemer. I don't have a clue what that loon was up to this past year, aside from getting nearly everyone killed, she shrugged. Abner slid her a cup and held up his own. Well, piece of marsh trash or not, he was a merc like the rest of us. To Jorgen. She pretended not to hear his self-proclamation as a merc. She took a sniff of her cup, catching the peaty aroma of a proper whiskey and grinned. They tapped cups and threw back the contents. She sighed in exultation while he grimaced. She immediately took the jug to pour herself another round. When she came to his cup, he waved her off and asked, so, what finally got him in the end? A mystical, vision-spewing white stag and agreed for heart stones, she wanted to say. Instead, she offered a vague story she had been brewing since the Stormwall passed. We were running shipments up and down the eastern edge of the Gastolian swamps. You know I can't say more, client privileges and all. Come now, don't leave me floating like that. At least tell me how he went out. She took another drink. Illyrians. We ran into a party of them that had come down from the foothills. There was a misunderstanding between us and some marshlanders which had been sneaking into their mountains. Next thing you know, arrows were flying and wild animals poured out of the forest. It was a bloody massacre. She shook her head, not needing to sell the tale. Half-truths made the easiest lies. He raised a finely trimmed eyebrow. Wild animals. A massacre you say. How did you make it out? I ran into the swamps. It was the only place I didn't think they or their beasts would follow. It worked, for a time at least. Then I almost got eaten by a fucking nogger. Abner spat onto the floor. Filthy creatures, those slimy tentacled serpents. But Illyrians, that's tricky business. Jorgen should have been more careful considering the treaties. The last thing Runeport needs is for the savages to retaliate over a misunderstanding. It's bad for business, for all the guilds. We were outside their land, I swear it. I don't know what got into them. He held up a calming hand. All right, I believe you. So, you're here to claim the closing on his contract? Tarin nodded and pulled out the blood-stained contract from inside her coat. The worn. Crimson parchment fell heavily on the counter. He looked at it uncomfortably. He delicately opened the document while avoiding the portions stained with blood. Aside from the tiny traces spilled in a guild brawl, he's probably never seen blood pouring from a proper wound. Meanwhile, she dug into the bulging sack at her belt and pulled out a massive pinecone. The prickly orb measured the size of a person's head. She had puzzled through it several times upon finally reading the contract. At first, she thought Jorgen's blood had somehow smudged the letters. But she couldn't come up with an alternative solution to what the contract required, to retrieve a particular pinecone. It even had a sketch, or what she thought was one. Blood had soaked and blotted out the image. Abner read the contract with a confused expression, then he glanced at the pinecone. His eyes shifted back and forth between parchment and pinecone. 
Finally looking at Tarin, he opened his mouth while pointing at the seed pod, paused, gave the contract one more glance and sighed. He turned to a metal safe behind him. Tiny firestones lined the elemental key he pulled from his pocket. They glowed with red essence. His body shielded a flash of red light as the key's signature matched the safe's. The metal hinges ground open to reveal numerous diamond-shaped cubbies filled with scrolls, small bags, or wooden boxes. His fingers fluttered across them before pulling out a small purse and sealed scroll. He handed them over. Payment for services rendered and no questions asked. Thanks, she accepted the small purse and turned to leave. She halted after a step, turning about to ask, who in the elements are all these people? Did you all get a new roster of mercs while I was gone? I hardly recognize anyone. Abner smiled, that's mercenaries for you. Blessed with short lives and always moving to the next city and the next job. A smart girl like you ought to find other work. I can think of a couple things if you have the spirit for it. His grin melted back into the ball of nogger slime she knew him to be. The familiarity of his sleaziness comforted her. Sorry, but I'm afraid that all I'm good at is sticking the pointy end into chums like you, she winked and departed. On the way out, she let her eyes drift over to the dark-skinned companion. She chatted amiably with her northerner friend. White teeth filled her smile as Abner returned between them. While he settled himself, she turned to meet Tarin's gaze. Nerves and excitement flittered through her. She returned the hint of a smile and headed for the doors. Tarin stopped at the entrance to inspect the sealed scroll. The crest of a square keep was cast into the violet wax seal. Her fingers broke the seal and opened the parchment. The thick paper held a waning herbal fragrance usually attributed to people far above her station. The brief old imperial script inside flowed in the same fluid hand as the contract. The crooked anchor, tomorrow at midnight. Bring your heart and speak to no one. Beneath the text was a silver pin for a lapel lodged into a drop of wax. The pin's shape matched the keep on the seal, although more detailed. She plucked it out of the wax and slipped it into her belt pouch. All the vagueness and mystery unnerved her. She folded and tucked the parchment inside her coat. The pocket there had torn slightly, much like most of her jacket seams. Hopefully that small coin purse she received had enough to buy a new one and perhaps a cloak too. She was tired of freezing her ass off.